Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Popular Science, we report and write dozens of science and tech stories every week. And while most of the stuff we stumble across makes it into our articles, we also find plenty of weird facts that we just keep around the office. So we figured, why not share those with you? Welcome to The Weirdest Thing I Learned This Week from the editors of Popular Science. I'm Rachel Feltman. I'm Jess Bodie. And I'm Amanda Reed. Happy New Year. Welcome to the show. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> new year, same me. <laughs> new year, new season. Yes. Season eight, if anyone's keeping track. I know we kind of stopped like doing it that way, but on our spreadsheet, it says season eight. So. <laughs> <laughs> we added a new tab. It's happening. Yeah. So uh, listeners, you know, thanks for bearing with us during our short holiday break. One quick exciting piece of housekeeping before we get into the show. Uh, Jess and I are planning to try to do a, a bunch of cool weirdest thing and non-weirdest thing content this year. And uh, we're planning on doing a Q&A episode, session, stream, whatever, on Twitch sometime in the next few weeks. So definitely uh, follow Jess on Twitch if you don't already. Uh, follow me on Patreon. Those are both places where you can reliably get updates about the kind of stuff we're doing that doesn't necessarily go in this feed. Uh, you can find all of that info in the show notes. And we're really excited to, you know, do some do some weird stuff on video, other formats. Who knows? What other formats exist? Clay tablet. Um. <laughs> um, on TikTok, uh, the teens are getting really into wax tablets. Oh my God, of course they are. <laughs> of course they are. Cuneiform content. <laughs> They're literally like, here's how I erase my wax tablet at the end of the day. Here's how I use it. I'm going to start using <laughs> a piece of slate, like Little House on the Prairie. Um, <laughs> that's my new 
influencer move. Um, wonderful. <laughs> I love it. So on the weirdest thing I learned this week, we start by each offering up a little tease about some kind of fact or story we found in the course of reading, writing, reporting, sending out carrier pigeons, etc. Decide which one we just absolutely have to hear more about first. Then once we've all had time to spin our little science yarns, we reconvene and decide what the weirdest thing we learned this week actually was in a fun, non-competitive, supportive way. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, Jess, what's your tease? My tease is that I'm going to talk about a kind of famous medieval torture device that's actually kind of not real. I love that. I I wonder if there will be a video game involved. How dare you? <laughs> no, I'm so sorry. You're you're actually no, you're right. Oh no! <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> uh, Amanda, what's your tease? tease? All right. My tease is parking says a lot about who we are as a society. Oh, my God. (laughs) I always like to brag about my parallel parking skills, and I wonder if this will be relevant. (laughs) Potentially. Yeah. Huge. Wow. Can't wait. Um, I want to talk about an animal that takes 10,000 naps a day. And it's not me, actually. 10,000? Yeah, 10,000 naps per day. Is it a nap or are they just resting their eyes? Oh my gosh. Mm. That's the scientific question, Amanda. I guess I can get right into it since um, you've really cued me up. Okay, so um, as we've discussed on previous episodes of The Weirdest Thing I Learned This Week, a podcast from the editors of Popular Science, (laughs) um, sleep is like both very mysterious and very important uh all animals do it even ones without brains like those jellyfish i talked about that can learn from their mistakes which is wild Mm -hmm. um or central nervous systems even uh again so jellyfish they sleep wild um and a lot of single-celled organisms they don't like sleep per se but they have circadian rhythms which means they have biological functions that follow a roughly 24-hour cycle so like How'd that happen? That's amazing, incredible. But again, it's all very mysterious. We know that sleep is essential, but like defining what sleep, what the thing that is essential, that is sleep, that is universally necessary for animals, we still don't really have a handle on that. Um, We don't know exactly what sleep does. We know some stuff that sleep does, but we don't know what all it does or what it did first. Um, So we don't know when or how it evolved. And most of the really robust research we have on it is on primates and rodents. So scientists are always curious about how other animals sleep. And that's where this recent study on chinstrap penguins comes in. Uh, Yeah. Beloved Cute little guys. Yeah. I love a cute little guy. Researchers found that these flightless birds get about 11 hours of sleep a day, which like doesn't sound all that remarkable at face value. It's like not that much more than the average human is supposed to get. Uh, but the real kicker is how they get it, because they get this 11 hours of sleep in increments of roughly four seconds a time. Wow. <laughs> OK. Yeah. What? The the ultimate micro sleepers. Um, so scientists hung out with a colony of thousands of breeding chinstrap penguins, uh, and they kept close tabs on 14 of them in particular. And it was important that they really um, be actually closely monitoring some of these penguins with sensors, because uh, from the outside, and as 
previous observational studies had shown, it seemed like the penguins were like doing this sort of like slow blinking and head jerking you would expect from sleep deprived parents. Not surprising. We already know that these animals spend weeks like hardly sleeping to protect their nests from both predators and from other penguins looking to like steal pebbles or eggs. Um, It's a very busy, chaotic uh, place to be taking care of babies. And yeah, the the general consensus for a long time has been that chinstrap penguins in their mated pairs, they trade off on either hunting or guarding the nest. And when they're guarding the nest, they like literally do not sleep. So researchers uh, attached electrodes to these 14 birds that they were watching closely uh, to track what was going on. And they found that all those little blinks and like head jerks were brief periods of sleep. Um, Wow. And they were doing this about 10,000 times a day, which added up to an apparently sufficient 11 hours of sleep. Oh, my Um, God. Okay. (laughs) That's like a really good amount of sleep. Yeah. Do not tell the biohacking people this. Oh, my God. Keep this away from the biohackers. (laughs) Yeah. I will get into that in a minute. Oh, no. Disclaimer up top, like. This is not relevant to human life. Do not, yeah. do not <laughs> microsleep in this fashion. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, like, so basically, these birds when they go out to sea to do their like stint uh, grocery shopping while the other parent is babysitting, they do experience some uh, slow la- slow wave sleep. Slow wave sleep is like what restful sleep is for birds that is the state that they enter where you're like that's not a sleepy bird that's a sleeping bird um but they spent like way more time uh, awake and active even then they were awake like two-thirds of the time they were out hunting and they would come back to land and they would spend the first few hours catching up on sleep on the shorelines like actually sleeping and then they would get back to the nest and they would go into this micro sleep strategy and then they could spend like half a day, more than half a day, just having these little four-second doses, um, they found that all told, 75% of sleep among the chinstrap penguins was in episodes lasting less than 10 seconds. Wow. Yeah. and so this most of their sleep is those little blips. Exactly. Wow. And these observations were only um, at nests, so it's possible and, in fact, likely that when they are not actively raising eggs um they sleep more you know quote unquote normally by our standards um and there are other animals that like in certain situations can use little bursts of micro sleep to um catch up on sleep even humans do this to some extent which i'll talk more about in a minute but this is the most extreme <laughs> like brief uh micro sleep and the biggest accumulation of it that scientists have ever observed. And it's also the first time that they've seen something anywhere close to this extreme where the animal is not suffering. Like the animal is behaving normally. This seems to be the way it is designed to go for this animal for like a really long period of time, several weeks. Um, So that's like pretty wild. And they think this probably, you know, is an adaptation that was driven by the very specific environmental factors of um, King George Island in Antarctica or off of Antarctica where they were observing these penguins. Um, Penguins flock together. They have to incubate their eggs uh, in a big group to protect them from predators. Um, So, like, they need sleep, but it's like they're in a noisy group. 
they have to be vigilant. And so even when they feel safe because they're surrounded, they're still like surrounded by a bunch of noisy penguins. So, yeah, it's possible that like that people it's possible that penguins (laughs) It's possible that penguins that, you know, developed the ability to really benefit from these really brief bursts of sleep constantly, um, you know, were the ones that were were most successful in in raising their eggs and um, continuing on to to have more babies. One other interesting thing they found is that uh, the penguins at the like outer edge of the cluster of penguins incubating their eggs seem to fall asleep for longer stretches than the ones they observed that were toward the middle. And they were like, maybe that's because on the outer edge, they have to be more vigilant. So they're like putting more actual attention into being awake when they're the only penguin at the nest. And then they need more, they have more sleep to catch up on. (laughs) So like they have these longer stretches, but it's still like, we're still talking about micro sleep. So yeah, moving on to humans, and how this does or does not apply to us. Yeah. Um, how do? How long does it take you guys to to fall asleep generally? Ooh, it it depends. Um, there was a brief moment of time where I was playing Baldur's Gate three and just like absolutely demolishing my circadian rhythm. Oh no! I want to say I thrive on. Uh, I want to say like maybe half an hour to an hour but it also depends on like i'm a girl who has to do the silly little sleepy time cocktail Mm. as a child um and don't do this at home as a child (laughs) i would take like benadryl to fall asleep which i now know is like awful for you well and that's like new recent research that like people have like we now know how much worse it is to take chronic benadryl um so never doing that do again that. <laughs> um i'm also a, a recovering habitual benadryl taker yeah so. yes. we've all been there we've all been there magnesium guys magnesium it helps you fall asleep and it keeps your bowels regular i i like think i just need more sleep but i um so it's easy for me to fall asleep at night but i think like also too if i exercise like if i lift weights i'm like out like a light in like mm. 10 minutes my totally. body's like we must rest to build your <laughs> muscles back so i don't know I rest for the gains yeah for the gains so i stay up too late and i lift weights which both are the perfect storm for falling asleep quick but there have been times <laughs> in my life where it you know it's tough totally yeah and like all that is very normal um most humans take around uh, five to 20 minutes to sleep, but that's okay. like a very rough average. Yeah. And there's no inherent problem with falling asleep really quickly. Uh, it can be a sign that something is wrong, but you can also just be somebody who's like very fortunate and your body is like, we in bed, we asleep. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and yeah, there, also one interesting thing is that some people who think they fall asleep really quickly Um, are probably mistaken. Uh, There's this thing called mesograde amnesia, which is that like right before you fall asleep, um, you tend to not be great at like creating new memories um, because like of how, uh, you know, the hippocampus where, which is, you know, responsible for, for like uh, indexing memories. um, It it has these like bursts of activity as you're transitioning from wakefulness into sleep. Uh, So some people are just like habitually, uh, unable to remember 
their their moments before sleep. So um, if you think you're somebody who instantly falls asleep, you may be wrong. Um, but yeah, even if you do actually like your head hits the pillow in your sleep, there's no like amount of quick sleepiness that's like inherently abnormal. Um, there's no criteria that's like you fall asleep instantaneously at night. And so there must be something wrong. But um, there is a big caveat because if you're regularly getting less than eight-ish hours of sleep um, and you fall asleep instantly, that is almost certainly because you are sleep deprived and your body needs more sleep because most people do take a few minutes to fall asleep. So like if your head hits the pillow and you're out and like you, you're not that great about getting much sleep, um, yeah, spoiler alert, you're sleepy <laughs> and you yeah. should get more sleep. <laughs> Um, so yeah, even if you like think you're fine, like I've definitely met people, <laughs> most of whom had like severe personality disorders, but that's another story. I've definitely <laughs> met people who are like, I survive fine on four hours of sleep. I'm science should study me. But like, if you think that's true, but you also like either can't fall asleep when you're supposed to be falling asleep or you instantly fall asleep, guess what? You're not actually thriving on those four hours of sleep. Your body's yeah. messed up. Totally. See you doctor. I've been thinking a lot about that lately because there are some nights where I'm staying up late, like editing or streaming, and then I wake up early to walk my dog and it is like four hours. But yeah. then I do the thing we've talked about on this show before where I later in the day sleep another four hours. Yes. I'm doing the Victorian two phase sleep. It's Ooh. true. Yes. And, and once you know, in a blue moon, that feels okay. Oh, yeah. And yeah. once in a blue moon, there is nothing wrong with that. That's actually, yeah. you know, that's your body being like, let's have second sleep. I can yeah. see I see that you took first sleep and <laughs> and then you were waiting to take second sleep. Of so course. that's actually like a very healthy response. Um, Sick. Thanks for enabling it, me. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Of course. It's, where it becomes a problem is when it's like you're accumulating more and more of a sleep deficit and mm. like your body is just trying to catch it anywhere it can. Um, and if you're if you're like, Am I okay? Am I getting too sleepy? Um, <laughs> there is uh, one thing to keep in mind is like a frame of reference is that basically the test they do for like um, narcolepsy, which fun fact, it, it isn't literally just like you fall asleep um, out of nowhere and that's the whole thing. It's actually that like your sleep cycle doesn't really happen the way it's supposed to. You go mm. right into REM stage, like right when you fall asleep. And then the rest of the night, you, you're actually only sleeping for short stretches because you're not going through the normal sleep phases. Right. So then during the day, your body is like, we literally must sleep. Like, please yeah. be down on the floor. And um, so that's your body catching up. But anyway, if a doctor were testing you for that, um, generally what they do is that they'll like pick random points in the day to like have the person try to nap. And if they're able to fall asleep in less than five minutes for a daytime nap, like consistently, then they're not getting good sleep at night. So um, just something to keep in mind. Uh, it's not the end of the world, but like if you think you are thriving, hashtag blessed uh, and getting very little sleep, and you are unconscious as soon as you lay down, consider, perhaps. Uh, maybe your body is really tired. Um, so yeah, there is research actually on, uh, recently researchers found that even um, a short nap, just a few minutes, can like help your body and brain do more of the things that it's good at 
after getting enough sleep. But that is not the same as um, taking micro naps of a few seconds long. And it is still no good substitution for trying to get a good night's sleep. It's just that if you're feeling not great and you only have, you know, five minutes to rest your eyes, it might be worth giving that a shot. That um, can be just what the doctor ordered. Before I finish my my segment, I did just I was thinking about sleepy animals and I thought I would love to just talk about some other animals that have funny sleeps. <laughs> there, and yes, please. Is there sloths? Um, oh, I, I did not even bring up sloths because they're 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 so famous for being sleepy. Yeah, yeah that's the obvious. We, we want the rare sleepers. Yeah. Um, I looked up chinstrap penguin on my own and they are very cute oh so i gotta look listeners at home they're very cute they're Google like the classic penguin they're like your classic like, oh uh, they're yeah. cute yeah they have little chin straps true to the name yep yeah yep um okay so as for other animals um great apes all sleep like we do uh they like lay down for the night for one long stretch um, which is unique, and uh, most other mammals have polyphasic sleep, meaning like they sleep on and off throughout a 24-hour cycle, like cats and dogs. Um, dogs, for example, they have a sleep-wake cycles that last um, a little under an hour and a half, and but that adds up to like almost 11 hours of sleep on most days. Um, but one thing I just learned, which is super interesting to me, <clears throat> is that some evolutionary biologists think that um, the reason great apes like all like make beds <laughs> and go sleepy time um, is that they started to get bigger and like up until then primates just kind of they like crouched in branches and it's like you only have these like relatively short sleeps because like um, there's predators and like you're sitting in the trees and you're just crouching there and you're going to sleep for a few hours and then you're going to go you know you're maybe sleep for a couple hours and go do something else then come back and you know whatever uh, you don't want to make a whole thing of it you're just crouching on a branch. Um, but then apes started getting bigger and they couldn't crouch in branch. The, they were too big to I crouch see. in branch. Um, so like once apes had to like build something that they could lay down on, <laughs> whether it was just like a nice, um, you know, grassy bed or what have you, um, they had to like invest time and energy into finding ways to stay away from predators and like get away from distractions so that they it was worth it to like create a structure and find a structure that could hold them. And so that then maybe that like created this feedback loop where they got to sleep for longer, they were able to do more cool cognitive stuff because of all their extra sleepy times. Um, and I just think that's uh, just like a really, really funny, like random evolutionary pressure that made us yeah. animals that have to lay down in bed all night. Too <laughs> yeah. big to crouch in a tree it's true too big too big for branch um mm -hmm. too big there, for branch <laughs> there's also so there's unihemispheric slow wave sleep um which is when an animal sleeps with half their brain uh dolphins do this which is how they manage to stay on alert for predators constantly um they never Whoa. experience REM sleep uh but they're never? super intelligent yeah never because they're always this uh slow wave sleep is just a separate thing from REM sleep, different brain activity. And it's just like one brain at a time. So, um, but like dolphins are very intelligent. So yeah. it's like 
that's kind of another sleep mystery where it's like, is REM sleep actually important or is just like a random thing humans that became important for humans? Obviously, we know now that it's important for us, but it's like that might have just been kind of a, an arbitrary thing that that happened. Um, Does this mean that dolphins like sleep with one eye open? <laughs> um, so like there I will actually mention. <laughs> Am I getting ahead That's of myself? You're again? getting a little ahead of yourself, Jess. But thank you for the question. Okay. Um, yeah, continue. Yeah. So fur seals uh, will sleep with half their brains yep. <laughs> while they're swimming. And then they sleep with their whole brains when they lay down on land. So again, it's like, you know, all of um, these adaptations seem to be around like, we need rest when we're out in the open water, but it's not safe to actually sleep, um, especially for mammals that need to like, breathe so if they entered REM sleep they and had the kind of like muscle paralysis we do when we're in REM sleep they right. would just sink to the bottom and drown so um troublesome yeah exactly and that's you don't, not good you don't want that no um the okay, ocean so. is really deep it is. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't want to wake up uh at the bottom if you need to breathe air that's that I know for sure um so yeah, speaking of sleeping with one eye open, yes, there are um, some of these unihemispheric uni slowly sleepers do literally do that. Um, so scientists at Indiana State University, they were studying mallard ducks. Um, a lot of birds also use this kind of half brain sleep. Um, and they filmed a row of ducks while they were sleeping. And they found that the ones at the end of the row kept the eye facing away from the rest of the group open. <laughs> Oh my god! While the eye toward the other ducks was closed. Um, oh my god! And the ducks within the row were more likely to have both their eyes closed. And when they, yeah, when they looked with like electrodes, they found that the ducks at the end of the line were controlling which side of their brain stayed awake. So they were, they were keeping the outside brain awake so that they could That's stay on wild. lookout. Yeah, to have that kind of control. I know, so wild. If only. Yeah. I'd be like, I'd. I would have one eye open and then it would be shut. I don't have that self-control. Yeah. Totally. Also, talk about community care. Yeah. Ducks watching out for so each other. So nice. Totally. Birds supporting birds. And um, there are also birds that will uh, sleep uh, with half their brain while they're flying and they can like kind of coast and glide. Um, so a lot of birds that like have really long migrations and spend like crazy amounts of time in the air. That's how they're doing it. They're, they're that makes sense. Half That's time. really smart. Yeah. Um, and then like, then there are animals <laughs> that sleep so long. Um, brown bats, at least according to one source I read, sleep the longest of any animal. And I, I trust this source because they sleep 20 hours in a 24 hour cycle. <laughs> oh my goodness. Wow. Um, and it, it seems like it's just because they eat mosquitoes and the mosquitoes are only out for a few hours a day. So like there's no reason for them to be awake the rest of the time. Your whole life um, is just like snoozing and then waking up really quick to eat a bug and then you go back to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. The That's dining hall's kind of open. Yeah. That's literally the plot of my year of rest and relaxation. True. Oh my god. That is true. That is the oh plot. Oh my of that god. Book. Wow. Um, I'd probably have liked that book more if it was about a bat. Um, yeah. But um, and then meanwhile, like big herbivores like elephants and giraffes, um, they forage so much that they only sleep a couple hours a night. And like giraffes can sometimes sleep for like less than an hour a night. 
Um, because like if a giraffe laid down and went to sleep, there would be no more giraffes. They have yeah. very fast uh, predators um, and they're very large and um, they you can't really hide in a tree as a giraffe, for example. So, so yeah, they take these, they take little naps and um, spend all their time just kind of lumbering around. And there are a lot of animals that um, like don't sleep much, but take a lot of time resting and really have like like an actual physiological state that's like we're in chill mode um which like i certainly feel like i have one but i I feel like with humans it's less of a like uh a formal biological state (laughs) right um so like koalas uh there was a time when researchers studying them in zoos thought that they slept for 22 hours a day um but looking at animals in the wild uh, it showed that they actually only sleep for 14 hours a day, but they rest a lot. They have a lot of like very dormant oh. phases. They're very chill. Um, and that's because their diet of eucalyptus leaves takes so much energy to digest. Right. Like pandas uh, with, with bamboo, they have evolved to basically just like eat and digest their food. And or like me when I eat a chipotle bowl. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you go into a dormant phase. Um, <laughs> my last animal sleep fact is uh, that, you know, how people say like sharks have to keep moving or they die. Um, so like sharks, uh, you know, we know that they can engage in sort of like, you know, micro sleep um, or they like kind of just like rest a little bit. Um, but there's been a long there's been a question for a long time of like, uh, you know, how do sharks breathe? Because they move and the water goes through their gills and that's how they breathe um, when they're sleeping. And uh, in 2016, researchers uh, who were looking at great white sharks uh, near the Baja California Peninsula uh, found a female great white shark and she was like basically just drifting in shallow water <laughs> with her mouth open against a strong current so that the water passed through her no gills. No way. And I have sleep apnea and I use a sleep a CPAP machine and I'm yeah. like, it's literally yeah. what I do. Oh my Nature God. Nature CPAP. Yeah. Oh so my goodness. I love, the, I love the image of this like drowsy <laughs> great white shark just like mouth wide open being like, the water can come to me. Yeah. I also love that a lot. Yeah. So enough um, with the shark slander. Yeah, yeah. Um, sharks take naps too. <laughs> they just um, don't do it where you can see them. Um, so yeah, those are all of my animal sleep facts for today. Um, I hope you enjoyed. And yeah, um, the chinstrap penguin, adorable, uh, incredible evolutionary strategy, absolutely wacky sleep habits. Do not. Copy the chin strap penguin. If you find yourself falling asleep for several seconds at a time, that is a sign that you are sleep deprived and you should not operate moving machinery. You should go to sleep is what you yeah, should do. Yeah, take a nap. Yeah. And if that doesn't seem to be fixing the problem, you should go to a doctor about your micro sleeping. Um, but for these penguins, it's all good. It's excellent. <laughs> I love that. I didn't realize so much of the animal kingdom was so varied with sleep. Like, it's wild to think about. Yeah, yeah. I also like. I also realized while researching this, like, I guess in my head, I figured there were just like a couple of categories of how animals sleep. But yeah. 
nope there's a lot there there's some weird so stuff. varied yeah <laughs> and there's also like there's so many animals we like haven't really observed the sleep of especially outside of captivity where it's like it similarly to like any kind of behavior um you're observing in captivity it's like yeah if somebody locked you in a room and gave you all the food you needed you'd probably nap all day too yeah it's like those mr Um, beast scenarios i literally was just (laughs) thinking that all right let's take a quick break and then we'll be back with some more facts angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well i absolutely love this because you know if you own a home it can be really hard to maintain it's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small well whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality it can be hard just to know where to start but now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Okay, we're back. And um, Amanda, talk to me about Parkin. Yeah. So for context, my boyfriend is a reader. He loves a nonfiction read or a classic. And we both share a love of books. So we get to talking about um, what we are reading. And we live in Pittsburgh where the parking chair is a really popular thing. Yes. Um, also so a thing for in those, Chicago. Very iconic. Yeah. It's a, it's a thing in the Midwest mm-hmm. generally. So a parking chair is generally generally used um, after snowfall. Like if you dig out your parking spot, you don't want some, um, someone else to take it. So you just throw like a folding chair or any cheap chair into your parking spot so that no one can take it. And also in Pittsburgh, we primarily have street parking. So finding a good parking spot is important to everyday life. Uh, He read this really interesting book called Paved Paradise, How Parking Explains the World by Henry Graybar. What a cool idea for a book. Yes, it's something that you don't think about, but when you think about it, you're like, oh, like that's actually, yes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And now I have not read it yet, but it's definitely on my reading list because after hearing about it i'm like we must radicalize parking yeah big parking is taking over everything so according to the national highway traffic safety administration road rage has been responsible for 300 deaths since 2013 um pretty american psychological association our besties the apa Around 30 murders per year are linked to road rage. Um, That's scary, dude. Yeah. And in this book, they list a couple incidents 
where people were shot due to road rage, um, like specifically fighting over a parking space. Um, and they detail, I'm unfortunately forgetting um, the name now, but they mentioned this one guy who um, did a hate crime. And before doing said hate crime, he was like a big parking stickler, like sticking notes on people's wow. cars, being like, hello, you are doing bad parking. It kind of reminds me of like the road rage thing is very similar to me in my mind to like internet trolls because you have yes. this like level of separation like physically from the people you're getting angry at mm -hmm. and it's just i fear both ro road ragers and internet trolls <laughs> yeah totally. definitely yeah um so a lot of people fight over parking spaces despite there being a lot of parking in the united states so there's between one to two billion parking spaces in America. Whoa. Um, a study of 27 mixed-use neighborhoods found that parking was oversupplied by 65%. Oversupplied? Oversupplied. Huh. That's, um, and that's... neighborhoods with parking shortages, like self-defined parking shortages, mm -hmm. were still oversupplied by 45%. Huh. Is everybody just so bad at parking? <laughs> Everyone is so bad at parking and um, I'll get into this later, but like everyone wants is like searching for like a good parking spot. Sure. So there's both social and psychological reasons behind parking rage and road rage. A lot of rules of the road are self-imposed. Um, like not everyone agrees what you do in the left lane. Not everyone thinks it's for passing. Yeah. And when not everyone follows these self-imposed rules, people get angry when they see other people not doing this socially acceptable thing. So they, you know, lash out and they become the all-knowing parking figure. Yeah. And they're like, hello, youth, let me lay on my horn mm -hmm. and then yell at you because you're driving in the left lane when you should be using it for power for parking, not for parking, for passing. Yeah. So parking theorist Sarah Marusic says that parking follows what she calls frontier law, where I people love, find a pub. Sorry, yes. just everything you just said yes. yeah. was an, was an yes. incredible clause. Yes. So yeah. thank you and please continue. <laughs> yeah. So it's where people find a public parking spot, especially, you know, if it's in front of their house and they claim it as theirs a la the 1800s. I was just going to say a lot of this feels very entitlement-y. Yes, which I'm also going to get cool. into. So now the horses and wagons have been replaced with heavy death machines, which also represent wealth and status. Surely. So, for example, if you don't have a car, you're a failure, which is untrue. And back to the entitlement point, there's a lot of entitlement when it comes to a car. You know, you work hard to buy the car. Um, being a quote unquote good driver is like a very big thing that people take pride in. So, for example, just to your point of parallel parking, mm. lots of people, you know, we like to brag. Are like, <laughs> people love to brag about like how good of drivers they are. Yeah. And I 
I can't even lie. Like when I'm in a car and someone's a good driver, I'm like, oh, like I feel safe with them. Yeah. Which, which is like a psychological thing. So speaking of high stress and displaced anger can cause road rage. Um, but there's also a territorial aspect to it. Yeah. Um, because no one wants to compromise on what they view as theirs, despite parking generally being a public entity. So drivers are pretty much toddlers who don't want to share their pencil for fear of losing it and never getting it back, despite there still being plenty of pencils in this world, even if they don't get their pencil back. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the reason why parking is really you know, shows how we are as a society is that we as people struggle with sharing and being inconvenienced, which we see or which we saw in everyday life through um, like COVID response and college debt relief and now especially parking. Mm -hmm. So Graybar's solution is literally sharing on an infrastructure level there's so much we can do for spaces that are generally saved for parking, like restaurant pop-ups and closed streets. Um, and that's all dependent on car owners and local governments being willing to transform parking spaces into these mixed-use third spacey areas, which that is an entirely other different subject yeah. that is really, really interesting. Um, also this world is made for cars so having more pedestrian areas can help um which again also something on an infrastructure level and it's also as simple as just being okay with parking a little bit further away from where you park and just walking Mm -hmm. so would recommend the book add it to your reading list it's certainly added onto mine i'm I'm currently look at it the cover is really fun (laughs) it looks like a street (laughs) sign sign. yes um oh my god if i can get it on audiobook it's so over yes we're so back (laughs) and like perusing through it um the language seems it's it's a book about a really interesting subject that's written in this like really fun and voicey way about a subject that is so unanimous with everyday life that we don't think to look into. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you mentioned convenience because it's something I've been thinking about a lot. I was just in both Germany and but even more so in uh, Denmark and noticed that in a lot of places, things like uh, elevators would have uh, tons of signage on them being like, save this for like take get more exercise take the stairs like this this is just for people who really need it and like parking parking spaces close to entrances would be the same way which like I know that in the U.S. occasionally you'll see a like this isn't a handicapped spot but it's like a you know we put a, a silhouette of a pregnant lady on it to remind you to like not be a jerk and take it if you don't need it and um as someone who like has a like relatively invisible disability. There were moments in Copenhagen where I was like, I really resent this sign that's making it, like making me feel like I will be judged harshly for deciding not to take the stairs. But like on the flip side, I think um, 
obviously if they didn't have an elevator at all, that would be a huge problem. And I'm yeah. sure there's probably slightly better, less ableist language they can use. However, I do think that the idea of like reminding people like sometimes you taking something that's slightly less convenient to you means everyone gets to enjoy a better life and like wild. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it makes me th- First of all, it makes me think of the sleeping ducks we just talked about, you know, bettering your community. Um, but yeah, I, I was thinking as you're talking about this, Amanda, like it seems like such an American thing to, oh, to absolutely. do this um, and how um, different I, things are in Europe where and other parts of the world, too, where, you know, cities are built around walking and not cars. Yeah, I think this the big stat is um, there are more three car garages than single family homes <gasps> in America. Stop. Yeah. Um, oh, I hate that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and even I'm noticing in Pittsburgh, a lot of these like commercial buildings being built where it's just like, oh, we made another commercial office space. And it's sort of like how many businesses will actually be in that commercial office space? Yeah. And that commercial office space will also um, a lot of cities have changed this law but um there are some um like zoning laws that state that you have to build a certain amount of parking spots for this Mm. commercial um for this commercial area yeah uh so i think it's seattle that stopped that which also again that leads to more parks and focus on walking yeah and all that jazz yeah well and i know you know in i'm in jersey city and during like peak pandemic there was like more road space seated to um you know parklets for outdoor dining and um they increased the the like pedestrian walkway area downtown there are some streets that are closed off and um thankfully they actually they kept the expanded like pedestrian plaza which is great, but um, a bunch of businesses outside of that little stretch like either have been forced to give up their their outdoor dining spaces or like have to pay a bunch more for it or are like fighting with the city about it. And the only argument against them is like it's taking up parking spaces. And it's like I as as someone who has now had to deal with street parking as a new car owner, I can say, we do actually have plenty of parking here. Right. It's not always, not always something we can do without sparing five minutes or some amount of frustration or whatever. But like, there is definitely enough parking, and it makes me so annoyed because like, it would improve the city so much to have more protected bike lanes and more outdoor public space. Um, and there is just always this this argument that comes back up where it's like almost taken as. Um, as common sense that it's like, well, obviously, though, the big downside is that we don't have enough parking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it also makes me think of like um, when I look across the street and I see a bunch of cars lined up, but there's at least like three feet between them. Oh, right. Sure. Yeah. And it's like, all right, can we just because <laughs> and I think it also leads to it's caused because people are like, oh, like, I don't want to damage my car in any way by being near this other car which is like a very very valid reason but it's also like come on man just like pull up a little bit yeah you know 
This is the first year that I've lived in an apartment that I have like a garage in a long time mm-hmm. or since I've lived in Chicago. Uh, and it's the first year I haven't had to dig out my parking spot out of the snow. And it is life changing. Um, but I definitely I've been there where we have to dig it out. And then like I've personally never done the chair thing, but I've <laughs> seen it. And I I I like have immense fear in my heart to even consider moving a chair. You know, I'm like you don't do that. Um, but yeah, parking. It is a, a really big cultural thing here that you don't really don't even like think twice about until you do. Yeah, because I mean, we grow up um, just used to it. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, down with big parking. <laughs> Agreed. We're, we're walk pilled now. We're pedestrian pilled. <laughs> big time. We baby. are oh, jaunt maxing. Listen, <laughs> I have been pedestrian pilled for some time, but I hadn't realized. How much parking was the issue? I was focused yeah. on the cars when they're in motion, but that's how and they get like, you. They're also a problem when they're stopped. <laughs> yeah, and it also is a like public infrastructure problem because it's like even in spaces that have um, like a pretty good public transit system, like especially here in Pittsburgh, we have a bunch of bridges, so there are literally in Tiber and Tiber entire neighborhoods that are easier to get to by car like the difference of like Mm. a one hour bus ride versus like a 20 minute car ride oh so it's like crazy subject there's like many many layers to it um really nuanced so yeah read the book henry graybar thank you for your for your work I wish Robert <laughs> we Moses. We are so had appreciative. Been, I wish Robert Moses had been obsessed with trains. You know, that's yeah. If only. <laughs> if only. What a world we'd live in. All right, uh, we'll take one more quick break, and then we'll be back with one more fact. Okay, we're back, and um, Jess, let's talk about medieval torture. Yes. Or the last one. Yes. Medieval torture. I, to be clear, it did still exist, but it's just there are some <laughs> misconceptions. Great. Cool. <laughs> so I've been thinking a lot about Iron Maidens lately. Uh, not the band, of course, but these. Although if you're thinking about Iron Maiden, the band, that's also fine. That's cool. Uh, <laughs> but I'm thinking about the legendary torture device of yore. Uh, basically, when people talk about these things, they're talking about these big human sized like sarcophagi they kind of look like um they stand upright uh and they're meant to put a human inside and shut the door however the kicker is that the door has a whole bunch of spikes and needly things and so uh it pierces the person that's inside when that door closes and yeah there's a lot of like different kind of varying writing on these things but uh people have also you know, proposed and said that these spikes were arranged in such a way that they wouldn't pierce your vital organs. Uh, so oh, yikes. Right, because otherwise it's kind of less of a torture device and yeah. more of a, a squish your dead yes. device. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, you know, close the door, you wouldn't instantly die. You'd just be like, oh, man, this really sucks. <laughs> um, I'm in a lot of pain. I'm losing a lot of blood. Exactly. Things are going blurry. It's dark in here. And people also said a big thing about that was also like you suffer from sleep deprivation because if you like relax, 
your body like moves in such a way that like you receive more piercing. Uh, And so all of this was supposed to be happening in the medieval era from like 500 to 1500 AD, roughly. Yeah. And again, these were, you know, thought to be torture devices or like punishment devices used to either get the truth out of someone or, you know, just 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 punish them. But I also want to note that uh, torture has been studied scientifically and objectively, and a lot of the evidence says that torture really doesn't work like we think it does. Yeah, I have heard that. Yeah, and that a lot of times it does elicit falsities and untruths and people just say stuff that's, you know, that'll stop the pain. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's almost like there's no good reason to do a war crime, you know? It's almost like that's the case. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So anyway, what sparked the thought of Iron Maidens in my brain? Rachel, you said this earlier. This couldn't be from a video game. And in fact, it is. (laughs) (laughs) So I was playing Resident Evil 4. They remade it last year now that it's 2024. Oh, my God. Um, came out last year and I won't spoil anything. Uh, I'll spoil this one kind of enemy because it's a big part of the game, but there's these, you know, they're colloquially called Iron Maidens and they're like zombie like creatures. Uh, they have spikes all over their bodies and they're maybe the most scary thing in the whole game for me, at least this is kind of gruesome, but in the game you can like kind of explode their limbs off a little bit. So they're just kind of like wiggling around. Uh, like little worms, but then they like lunge at you and it's the scariest, worst thing ever. Uh, And it's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But when you finally are able to like dispatch them and get rid of them, their bodies just explode and like shoots, shoot the spikes everywhere. So it's like a reverse Iron Maiden. Um, So yeah, they're, they're just a handful. And it kind of, you know, I was talking to my chat because I streamed RE4 um, on Twitch and I was talking to my chat about it. And somebody in my chat was like, you know, Iron Maidens, like, you. well, I won't spoil it yet, but they told me to look into Iron Maidens, and I was like, whoa. And then I was thinking about, there are more Iron Maidens in this game called Demon Souls, which is a game made by From Software, who made Dark Souls, Bloodborne, Elden Ring, yada, yada. Uh, and those, you know, are not like a reverse Iron Maiden. They really look like the what it was described historically from medieval times. They look like sarcophagi. When you open them up, sometimes it's an item, or sometimes it's a little guy who'll just pop out and stab you. You gotta, like, roll yeah. the dice. Um, Ain't that life. Yep. And and yeah, the ones, the Iron Maidens and Demon Souls were inspired also by a manga called Berserk, which inspired a lot of the Dark Souls. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Bloodborne and a lot of a lot of that stuff. But uh, the kicker, <laughs> which I almost just spoiled, uh, you know, that original Iron Maiden of yore, the things that were supposedly used in medieval times to torture people or punish people, the thing that has influenced so much popular media today, from games to books to movies to beyond. What if I told you? They weren't real. <gasps> they were a fake. No. We've been punked. We've been oh, punked. Man. Why is why did people make up so much fake medieval stuff? Oh, I'll get there. <laughs> oh my gosh. There. So um yeah, basically there's no reliable or like confirmed writing about an actual Iron Maiden before like the 18th or 19th century, which is like a huge jump when you're thinking about when they should have existed from 500 to 1500 AD. Basically, so step one, there was this guy back in the late 1700s. Uh, He was a German philosopher. His name was Johann Philipp Sibenkis. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but you know, 
And this guy wrote about a weird situation that happened apparently all the way back in 1515, uh, where this guy was illegally forging coins. You know, a terrible crime, uh, apparently. (laughs) Even today, a terrible crime. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Don't forge those coins. And so he was apparently tortured and killed by a device that, for all intents and purposes, was an Iron Maiden. So it was like a human-sized cabinet with spikes. Um, And so when this piece of writing started circulating later on in the 1800s, all the Victorian-era folks were like, oh, my God. (laughs) Those medieval folks were so barbaric and so uncivilized (laughs) and so different from us. You know, we could could never act that way. Um, Look how terrible they were and how great we are. Um, so obviously it's a lot easier to kind of point the finger at people from the, the era prior and be like, look how, look how much better we are. Um, which is, shitty. you know, don't do that. Um, <laughs> and looking back now, some historians even suspect that this Johann philosopher guy maybe embellished or com- maybe even completely made up this whole Iron Maiden thing from the 1500s. Um, and why did he come up with this? Well, there were some other kind of similar devices that historians think maybe contributed to this Iron Maiden hysteria. So my favorite, uh, Rachel, you might not have to help me with this German word, but it's Schandmantel or the, his- yeah, it's, it's like a, it's, it's, you know, it's nicknamed as the barrel of shame. <laughs> the barrel of shame. Oh, that's good. <laughs> it's hilarious. So you put a person in this giant, giant barrel and just their head sticks out. And sometimes it had a little bell like suspended over the top of the head. So people would hear it's like a cat. Like they would hear you when you walk down the street and then uh-huh. they could come out and throw rotten vegetables at you. Yeah. Um, so Here it's like comes a public, the shame barrel. Yeah. It's like public humiliation situation. And yeah, it was mostly used to punish like drunkards or sex workers or like apparently also poachers, which I didn't realize was such a huge issue back in the um, back in the day. But I guess it was. Um and yeah, yeah, I'd think I I would think that poaching would be like en vogue, you know. Yeah, I know, but apparently some people did not think it was very chill. And but yeah, some people, your historians think some people maybe saw this and were like, oh, what if that but spikes, you know? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, and so after you know after this kind of like his uh, Iron Maiden hysteria started happening from this piece of writing and all of these stories that may or may not have been true recreated Iron Maidens started popping up in museums and stuff, which obviously is kind of problematic when you consider they probably weren't real. Um, And one even made it to the Chicago world's fair in 1893. And then later went on tour across America. Wow. um, Which is very funny to think about. That's what happened with, um, with chastity belts too. I I think I, talked about that at a at a live show a couple years back i forgot about Um, that yeah that's a good point yeah and it's like similar timeline too where it's like in the 1800s people started making these and saying they were things that had existed in the medieval era and actually like they did not (laughs) totally yeah it's a very similar thing and i was when i was reading about this i I saw chastity belts belts mentioned so i think it's a very common thing so yeah kind of kind of going off of that This happened with other torture devices as well, or supposed torture devices. So there was something called the pear of anguish. Not a fruit I want to eat. It goes up the butt, right? Well, they they think they thought that was the idea. Yeah, 
Um, or any orifice. <laughs> right, I guess. Um, and it's kind of like, it was like metal. It was like a foot or two long. And when you turn the key at one end, it kind of like expands like a cursed speculum. And speculums yeah. are already very fucking cursed. So, <laughs> um, Oh, dear. Yeah. But, you know, it was on the same timeline as Chastity Belts and Iron Maidens. And people were like, oh, yeah, this was definitely a butt <laughs> thing. Like, hands down. <laughs> Um, People need to get their minds out of the gutter. <laughs> yeah, I know. Nothing. Yeah, nothing's changed. You know. Um, but yeah, it turns out, you know, they found some pairs of anguish that were that had like caps on the expanding end, so like you couldn't put it inside something unless you were manually holding it shut. Um, so there were like these different kinds of pairs of anguish that have now clued in historians to be like. Okay, I think that maybe this was like a thing you use to extract fruit juice from something. <laughs> this is actually an anguish of pears. Yeah, yeah, like literally. Um, or like somebody else said, maybe it's a shoe stretcher, you know? like Totally, yeah. There, there are yeah. no need to jump straight to torture, you know what I mean? Exactly. There are so many things you could imagine a device like that was used for. And the fact that some dude in the 1800s was like, oh. I know where that goes. Yeah, right. <laughs> Says a lot more about them than it does about <laughs> yeah. people in medieval times. Exactly. Um, so yeah, at the end of the day, you know, Iron Maidens, Pair of Anguish, probably other devices, chastity belts, you know, a lot of the, a lot of these things were just mostly myths made up by folks in the 1800s, 1900s to kind of point the finger and say, no, they are uncivilized, but not us. Um and that wasn't really the case. You know, I think it's important to, like, examine these things, especially when you think about, like, how Iron Maidens were incorrectly described in museums and that kind of thing. Like, it's it's misinformation, fake news at, at, at work. So, yeah, folks in the medieval age were actually a lot more civilized than commonly thought. And uh, it's important to get the right version of history, I think. So, yep, that's my that's my Iron Maiden fact. I, I loved that people just lie. And then other people are just like, you know what? That sounds that sounds close enough. I'll accept that as truth. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, obviously we are dealing with a lot of misinformation now. And, you know, the Internet and yeah. AI, you know, is it can be a tool for the, the spreading of misinformation. However, like, I also think it's important to keep in mind that, like, before people could, like, look stuff up. Yeah. Um, they're there was so much just like people just said stuff mm-hmm. um just you know from your parents repeating a thing for years and then you finally get around to googling it and you're like well that was sim- simply not not a fact but also like what i i know i talk about this all the time but when i was researching my book there were facts that got shared everywhere that i traced back to like a book from the 90s because people would be like no one will look this up like there's no no one could disprove this right and um yeah so people definitely have a long history of just imagining things and i feel like it's it's not even that people like sat there deciding to fabricate something i think with a lot of the stuff that i had to like debunk in researching my book and probably with some of these medieval era things it was people thinking like I am very smart and making what is obviously a logical conclusion about you know this letter I read from medieval times and Mm -hmm. this 
one artifact I've seen and like this thing we know is totally definitely true about how culture worked back then. And like, that's so much, um, that's so much more dangerous when people are just like, I am very intelligent. I have uh, synthesized the information and let me tell you how it was. Yeah, a lot of like ego stuff. Yes. Wrapped up in yeah. this. Yeah. The powers of deduction. Use it for good. <laughs> yeah. It's true. Continue to deduce, perhaps. Um, when you think you've come up with something really smart, keep asking yourself questions. Yeah. Because <laughs> maybe Pass you're about to put guy. a dog collar in a museum telling people it was a chastity device. Which is a thing that happened. So, man, what a world. What the a historical world. record, man. Yeah. What a place. <laughs> Big time. Well, man, a lot of great stuff today um, about human folly. Yeah. And also napping penguins. Yeah. <laughs> a perfect mix <laughs> And for also human thing. folly. Because if you think that you only need to sleep right. for a few hours a night, you're wrong. <laughs> I'm so sorry, but you're wrong. Um, if you're trying to sleep and only able to sleep for a few hours a night, you have my full sympathies and I hope you're able to figure that out. If you truly believe that's just how you operate, you're wrong. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so yeah, folks, remember to uh, follow Jess on Twitch, follow me on Patreon so that you don't miss our upcoming bonus content and non-weirdest thing content because we'll have some of that too oh um, yeah amanda thanks so much for joining us for our of course. first episode Always of 2024 Woo! i resolve to be a good person who parks and not get into <laughs> any fistfights over parking spaces honestly same. and the best thing is i don't drive so <laughs> easy yeah. Okay. Easy I'll, peasy, I'll be lemon the, squeezy. I'll be a good enough Parker for all of us. Thank you. Okay. Thank, thank you, Jess. Jess. Of course. <laughs> the Weirdest Thing I Learned This Week is produced by all of our hosts, including me, Rachel Faltman, along with Jess Bodie, who also serves as our audio engineer and editor extraordinaire. Our theme music is by Billy Cadden. Our logo is by Katie Belloff. If you have questions, suggestions, or weird stories to share, tweet us at weirdest underscore thing. Thanks for listening, weirdos. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly. Which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. 
Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.